Totally Football Show. Today, putting the owl into Carabao, it's a Manchester meltdown special. Mourinho slams second captain's form, many of their listeners agree, then has midweek clash with midfield star who used to play for him, and then another next morning at training. What will happen next as United travel to West Ham this weekend? And what of Liverpool, Chelsea and the rest of the midweek League Cup action where almost all the goals were better than the stupid one they chose for the Pushkas Award? These questions and more in this Totally Football Show. featuring Oliver Cheatham with Make Love. And uh, you know why we're playing that song, Tom Williams? Uh, No, no, I don't. All right. You'll find out later on. Tom Williams, who is the author of Do You Speak Football? And uh, the answer very much yes. (laughs) Yes, it is. All right. (laughs) I was just waiting to see whether that was building up to something. Right, no, no. (laughs) Yes. Also here, speaking about the beautiful game. Uh, we have Duncan Alexander. Hello. And Michael Cox. Hi, James. Fresh from their star turns at the Totally Football Live last Monday at the Southbank Centre. We had a great time, everybody. Thank you all for coming. There was uh, one guy who I spoke to at the end who'd come over all the way from America. Yes. Specifically. Yeah, physically. Wow. Which is genuinely impressive. Great effort. Yeah. Yeah, he was from uh, Washington, D.C., and, uh, you know, we'd love to return the favour. Just got to sort, sort that one out. But, yeah, thanks for everyone who made the uh, the journey, however short, uh, to the Queen Elizabeth Hall. A lot of people, Duncan, remarking on your resemblance to Manuel Almunia. Mm. But an Almunia with a laptop. Yeah. Yep. I, I didn't have a laptop there, to be fair. All right. I do sometimes use one. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. He's got a laptop now, listeners. He certainly has. If that helps paint the picture. Come on, don't spoil it. I think the other talking point was the fact that Michael not only... Have you not seen The Matrix still? But you don't like Queen. Wow. And that, that winning tweet about if you don't like Queen and you you never seen The Matrix, is this the real life? Is this just fantasy? That was very funny. Yeah. Well done. Anyway, I like to party. Everybody does. And I certainly got my share of throws and spills midweek. Wow, what a lot going on. There were goals, great goals. Wow, that was that whole Pogba Moo thing. So fans of rubbernecking were in for a, a treat. Let's begin with the entire Man United saga, League Cup action and Carrington meltdowns after this. You're listening to The Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. So the big news Tuesday night, Man United knocked out of the League Cup by Derby League Cup which Mourinho says is a small competition having shrunk since he was so excited about winning it two seasons ago (laughs) and then uh, the Pogba fight Uh, Mourinho kind of kicking this one off by announcing to the world that he was never going to make Pogba his second captain again uh, which was a a curious move 
Duncan? Yeah, I mean, I don't think second captain is much of a, a thing in English football, really. I mean, vice captain generally is someone that, you know, goes around before the game and, you know, shakes hands with dignitaries, really. So, right, right. Yeah. But even even if it is a thing in Mourinho's mind, it was it was interesting that he chose to publicly say, he let me down. Uh, I think, why? Because he'd made those comments about attack, attack, attack after the Wolves game. Is that right, Tom? Yes, that's the assumption. Um, Pogba said that he thought United should be more attacking at home and when he was asked why they weren't, he said, well, don't ask me, I'm just a player. Uh, And it it feels like Mourinho has used this vice-captaincy, which, as Duncan was saying, does not really mean anything, um, as a means of punishing Pogba, but in a way that doesn't really mean all that much. It has a lot more symbolic value than it does punitive value. But again, just a, a... uh, a sign of the, um, the the lack of feeling between the two of them. Um, right. And then this, this latest peculiar flare-up in, in training on Wednesday, just adding to that. Right. And before that, Tuesday night, mm. the exit against Frank Lampard's derby. Quite a match this, Michael. It was very entertaining. I mean, Derby were impressive. I think Lampard maybe will be a little bit disappointed Derby didn't see out the game in 90 minutes, really, because they were the better side. Mm. You know, after Romero sending off, they were particularly dominant. And, uh, you know, it was a classic plan B of, of Fellaini that got United a chance to win it in penalties, but they didn't win it. Really impressive from Derby. I think, you know, technically they look very good. They push forward in numbers, but there was just uh, a sense that they weren't at all overawed by the occasion. They, they really, you know, from the outset played good football and um, it was good to see, you know, as someone who hadn't seen Derby previously this season, um, they looked excellent. Have you seen much of Derby this season, Tom? No. Harry Wilson, for example, mm. beyond the extraordinary free kick. Wales is Harry Wilson. Wales is Harry Wilson. What can you tell us about him? Um, he made his Wales debut um, early this year in uh-huh. the China Cup. He's on loan at Derby from Liverpool. Uh-huh. Uh, scores an absolutely sensational free kick, yep. which brought to mind that famous Cristiano Ronaldo goal uh, at the same end of the ground against Portsmouth, uh, whenever that was, uh, and then runs off celebrating with the, the old five-fingered gesture uh, for each of Liverpool's five European Cups, just to Ooh, rub it in that little right. bit more. Right, because so, he's on loan from Liverpool. Because he's on loan from Liverpool. Right. Now, the, the free kick itself was special because it was so far out and the kind of knuckleball thing which made it kind of fade and dip because Romero just stands and watches it. Why? Because he thinks it's flying over the top. Well, yeah, well, it starts... Uh, Wilson hits it left-footed and it starts off going towards the right-hand side of the goal and then just veers left. And, yeah, it was good. And it was, as Tom said, very reminiscent of that Ronaldo one from pretty much the same spot. Right. Um, and I guess, you know, obviously he's on loan from Liverpool. They've got Mason Mount on loan from Chelsea. It's kind of classic football league in the sense you can build a good team, but often it is built on, you know, loans and a bit sort of short-termism. But, you know, that's not going to bother Derby fans after after that result. Right. They ended up with, obviously, two goals, which was 10% of the total they managed in their last Premier League season. So, <laughs> that famous, dreadful 2007-08. I didn't think it was reminiscent of Ronaldo's, actually. Okay. I thought it was a completely different free kick. I thought Ronaldo's was all about the dip over the wall, mm. whereas this one was about the kind of reverse swing. Okay, but it, there was also a big dip at the end, wasn't there? A little bit of dip. But if you look at Romero, I think it's interesting because he takes two steps to the other side. So it's not anticipating the shot. He's reacting to where the ball's going and gets completely wrong-footed. Mm. And I think that's why it's so spectacular. Right. And then uh, Marriott with the goal uh, with, with, with the goal to move into the lead in about, what, 85th, 86th minute. But Fellaini, as you mentioned, pretty much the last second of, of the 90, ties it up. Will Frost says, is Fellaini now United's best and most crucial player? 
Well, probably not. No, I'd, I'd still say Lukaku and even Pogba. Um, despite Lukaku missed a lot of chances, as, as Mourinho was pointing out, to, to, to yeah. seal the kill game off. I mean, Lukaku does miss chances. He is one of those players. He gets a lot of chances and he scores a lot and misses a lot. I think I think you've got to accept that. Um, I found it funny in the summer when uh, United gave Fellaini a new deal and a lot of Manchester United fans were, you know, objecting to this kind of player because he doesn't, you know, fit into United's philosophies and their tradition of of you know, playing football. But if there's one thing I associate with Manchester United, it's playing quite badly and scoring a last-minute equaliser or a last-minute winner. And Fellaini's probably the best player in the Premier League at doing that. So I think he fits into their philosophy very nicely. Very nice. And of course, although they did go out of the cup, they weren't beaten, it's important to point out. Oh, that is true. Yeah, 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 they drew the game. That was a drawn game. It was also good. We saw the spectacle of Lee Grant and Scott Carson contesting a penalty shootout at Old Trafford. And it wasn't some sort of charity game, (laughs) which I thought was, you know... Times have changed. Things have moved on. Right. Well, some things don't change, though. United losing the penalty shootout. That's the fifth shootout in a row that they've they've been defeated at. And Mourinho, of course, saw it coming because, once again, he chose to share his thoughts with the media by saying once it reached 6-6, he knew we were in trouble with Jones and Bailey next on the list. Well, it was a really high-quality penalty shootout. I think that was the thing that stood out. I mean, all the penalties that went in um, were brilliant. And then Phil Jones steps up, and I think everyone in the ground and everyone watching on TV thinks, right, if any United player is not going to score, it'll be Phil Jones. Right. And then Mourinho comes out after the game and, and confirms that he was thinking the same thing and that had right. Jones not, not failed to score by... control over it. Yeah, I mean, poor guy. What can he do? I feel... This is a weird week because I actually genuinely feel quite sorry for Mourinho. Um, but uh, a part of that is because of what happened then the following morning at, at, at Carrington with this this little exchange with, with Pogba and Pogba visibly hamming it up for, I think, for the cameras. I think that that's fair. I think he was aware that the whole incident was going to be filmed. Interesting. Well, where does it all leave, uh, the odd couple? What is the atmosphere now like at Man United? Uh, let's find out by talking to the man who's keeping American readers across every aspect of this top story. It is Rory Smith of the New York Times. Rory. Hello. Hello. Are you live at Carrington? I'm not live at Carrington, no. I'm not on, I'm not Sky Sports News. OK. I'm not standing, standing watching the players go in and out in their fancy cars. What can you tell us, Rory, about the latest? Well, it, it seems to be kind of another another reprise of this endless soap opera between Mourinho and Pogba, where they, they, they've fallen out essentially because... Podba was in a box during the Derby game. He tried to upload a video to one of his social media accounts. It didn't upload at the time, so by the time it did, it did kind of make it online. Anyone who's ever used Wi-Fi at Old Trafford will understand this problem. Um, it was after the game, United lost, so it obviously looked like he was um, Podba was was laughing at United losing, or was in some way reveling in despite their defeat. Mourinho took exception. And the footage that we saw uh, yesterday on, on Wednesday was of part of the exchange that they had where they sort of thrashed out what had actually happened. As far as I know, Podber kind of explained it. Mourinho accepted that it was a, it was an honest mistake and moved on. But the fact that it's it had such resonance is a kind of a reflection of, of the media landscape in which we live and, and the kind of the resonance that Manchester United itself has. But also just how easily United at the moment kind of tumble into something that looks a bit like crisis, which is not the mark of a healthy club. And I think that you can, as Mourinho no doubt would, you can kind of say, well, look, this is a media invention and it's, it's because the media are overplaying everything and, and there's so much hyperbole and so much hysteria. And that's, that's all true to an extent, I think. Pogba's not 
not really help the situation. He he does have this habit, and you have to assume it's deliberate, of trying to stoke in the fires every so often. Whether it's the the thing about attack, the, you know, United should attack, attack, attack at home. He's smart enough to know how that will be perceived. He's not stupid. He's not kind of new to this environment. He understands that if he says something like that, there is a chance it will be will be interpreted in a certain way. And that is why, and as strange as it is for a journalist to complain about it, that's why most players watch what they say a little bit. And if, if they're not, if they're being open, that's praiseworthy to one extent. But at the same time, they, they understand what the consequences will be. And Pogba's done it so, so often now this season. You have to assume he, he knows he's doing it and he's doing it on purpose. That tends to only end one way. Yeah. And do you think that Pogba and Mourinho will be working together past Christmas? I have a feeling that they will see out the season together. I, I don't think it would work for United to sell Pogba in January, and I don't think there's any appetite to sack Mourinho. Um, obviously, if results go really go really sour, then then the manager's always vulnerable. Um, but as things stand, I, I would expect them to see out the season. The problem that Pogba's got is I'm not quite sure where the market is for him. I, it's all very well thinking I can I can go and play for Barcelona, but I don't think Barcelona have got the money that it would take to get him out of Manchester United. I'm not sure anyone other than maybe PSG, who have been hit by FFP, I'm not sure that anyone's got the money to to take Pogba away from United. So whether he's playing a waiting game and thinking, well, I will get a better contract when Jose goes, that may well be what his endgame is. But as things stand, it's going to be a fairly tricky year for both of them. And we will have more moments like this where little things are blown out of proportion because United are never far away from a crisis. Rory Smith, who you can see on stage with us next Friday at the Royal Northern College of Music... ManchesterPodcastFestival.com for tickets and uh, just put in Totally Football Live. Part of the Manchester Podcast Festival, of course. Right. Tom, you were suggesting that Moo might not have been entirely innocent in this whole kind of media crisis that they had Wednesday morning. Was it to stop people talking about the fact that Derby went through instead of them? It would be the first time that he'd engineered uh, a situation to draw attention away from a bad result. And I think the fact that when Pogba appears on the training pitch, Mourinho's got his back to the camera, which he must know is there. It felt like the sort of orchestrated thing that Mourinho does. Well, let's, let's, uh, let's fox his plan by talking about Derby anyway. Uh, Frank Lampard, uh, clearly a genius manager in, in this his debut season. He's looking good. He, um, they outpassed Manchester United at Old Trafford, which not a lot of teams do, partly because United were so bad. 76% is kind of lower championship level. But yeah, they looked, you know, they obviously Lampard's instilled a way of playing with them that's working well. And yeah, um, it's good to see. Yeah, Mason Mount uh, caught the eye on loan from Chelsea after a very impressive season on loan at Vitesse Arnhem last season. I think he scored about 14 goals from midfield, which mm. is which is pretty impressive for a young player playing in a in a foreign league. Um, and yeah, he was very good on the ball. I like the fact he 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 looked for for quite inventive passing angles. You get a lot of young midfielders, and you almost get the impression they're thinking about their passing stats as the game goes on. Whereas Mount was making a lot of quite risky forward passes, but but finding people. It was his shot that led to um, the Jack Marriott goal that that put them ahead. Right. Um, so yeah, impressive. What, name a player who you think is calculating his stats as as he selects his passing options. I'm not sure I'd like to name names, Come but on, you Tom. do you do hear about players in the game who who will go back into the changing room after the match and will ask the stats man, oh, you know, how am I uh, how are my pass completion uh, stats today? Michael, you'll name names, won't you? Well, no, I, I think Duncan's pointing at me because I played in a Opta game last year where you know it was an eleven aside game and they measured all our passes. And uh, I realised at half-time my pass completion rate was just under 50% and spent the second half ensuring I got above that magic mark. There you Brilliant. go. There's your example right there. <laughs> the selfishness that's killing football. <laughs> <laughs> well, West Ham up next for Man United. A West Ham 
who are fresh from an 8-0 victory uh, against the bottom team in the Football League, Macclesfield. But still, eh? Oh, well, West Ham team were winless in the last three Premier League games at home this season, but who did hold Chelsea to a 0-0 draw last weekend and, to be fair, could easily have won that game. Michael, what, what do you think about the Hammers' chances here? Well, they're very good um, against Chelsea, despite the fact they didn't have Marko Arnautovic up front. And I think he's the key factor if he returns, as I believe he's in line to do so. Right. Uh, his movement on the shoulder of the last defenders is, is just fantastic. And they do have players who can, who can play the passes for him in that side, West Ham. So, you know, United, I still think, are very unconvincing at centre-back this year, uh, or this season, I should say. And, uh, yeah, I fancy West Ham to get a result here. Maybe not all three points, but I'd fancy them to get a draw. Yeah, I think, I mean, we've spoken about this on previous pods, but that they signed a lot of players, West Ham, over the summer. Uh, and there was a feeling in those opening games that Pellegrini didn't really know how to fit them all together. They've looked a bit more settled uh, in recent weeks. I think in midfield, particularly, um, you've had Mark Noble, uh, Declan Rice and Pedro Obiang. And that, that's quite a nice balanced three rather than the Wilshire Noble axis of doom that we saw in the, in the, the first few games of the season. Um, they had that really impressive win at Everton, uh, which a lot of people didn't see coming. As Michael was saying, they were quite impressive against Chelsea and, and, and shut Chelsea down quite effectively, the first team to do so this season. Mm-hmm. And they've just put eight goals past Macclesfield. So they'll be... Um, Full of There's beans. no easy games against Macclesfield. Well, there, there are actually, <laughs> um, like this one. But um, for fans of Omens, like, I might like to remember that West Ham effectively ended the Van Gaal uh, regime at United by beating them and stopping them qualifying for the Champions League um, in the last ever game at Upton Park, um, which culminated with Matthew Etherington coming on the pitch in a taxi. Um, don't know, <laughs> can't guarantee that will happen this weekend, but you know. Let's hope it does. Uh, r- refresh our <laughs> memories as to why that happened. Because they were celebrating the end of Upton Park and they were bringing on some legends in, in, a, in a black cab. And one oh, of them right. Was, as a kind of London... Yeah. Like, okay. we're in London. The stadium's in London. Right. You and might Dave have... Batista came over the roof in a, in a, on a BMX bike or something. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. It, it went on really late as well, didn't it? Because the game was delayed by about an hour because of some crowd congestion. Yeah. So there was just loads of people it, still in Upton Park at midnight watching... You know, the West Ham legends from the 60s coming on in hackney carriages. Uh, naturally, Mourinho has insulted uh, previously two of the key figures in this game, uh, calling Pellegrini Pellegrino, and uh, <laughs> Pellegrini's not a fan of Mourinho. He's made some comments about him. Uh, he, Mourinho said of Arnautovic that he has the mentality of a child, which I think is quite positive, but I don't think Jose meant it that way. And he, he called him unmanageable as well. And gave him a watch because he was late to training. Again, you could read that in a positive light if, you know, you weren't part of the biased anti-Moo agenda. To be fair, I've definitely mixed up Manuel Pellegrini, Mauricio Pellegrino and right. Mauricio Pochettino. Before. Which one is at West Ham? Pellegrini. Pellegrini. Right, there we go. After this game, Man United will be facing Valencia and then Newcastle. And then they got the international break. Then Chelsea, Juventus and Everton. Wow. Eh? I, yeah, there's plenty of gas left in this explosion, methinks. Here we are anyway. We've got, what, two parts in... And we haven't even got to the big game of midweek yet, so let's do that after another break. He lines up to hit it, and yes! It's deflected for a corner! That's over 12 corners! Yes! <coughs> no time to take it, though. It's finished nil-nil. What a result! Sorry, our fault. You see, with same-game multi-bets from Paddy Power, you can combine multiple selections from one match into one bet, and you'll get money back as a free bet if one leg of your four-fold same-game multi-bet lets you down. Paddy Power, enough of the nonsense. Applies to pre-match four-fold same-game multi-bets on UK and top European leagues. Max free bet £10 per customer per day, minimum odds. Exclude shop bets. T's and C's apply. 18 plus. Begumbleaware.org. 
on Spotify, smart speaker and podcast platforms everywhere. This is the Totally Football Show from Muddy Knees Media. Chelsea Liverpool facing each other on Saturday. What a game it's set to be. Two most credible rivals for Man City, two most expensive keepers in the world and arguably the two best players in the Premier League going head-to-head, Hazard and Milner. <laughs> I mean, we laugh, but yeah. Right, anyway, we got a massive preview to the weekend's action on Wednesday night when Liverpool hosted Chelsea in the League Cup. And what a special game. At least two goals that were better than the, the Salah one, which won the Pushkas Award, Tom. Yes, um, particularly the, the Hazard goal. Right. Um, so first of all, we had Sturridge, who'd missed an absolute sitter early doors, but then contrived to kind of fling his body in the right direction and, and, and was that an equaliser that one I'm, I get confused that put them in the lead yeah. that put them in the lead and then and then Eden Hazard as you're saying Tom mm, yeah wonderful goal um, and it'd been quite an interesting game up to that point in that Chelsea started more brightly than Liverpool uh, we're not really used to seeing that happen with Liverpool certainly this season it seemed to take Liverpool a bit of time to get their their press in order but then they finished the half quite strongly Sturridge puts them ahead and, and I didn't really see Chelsea getting a foothold in the game until Hazard came on he takes the free kick that leads to the equaliser scored by Emerson and then scores this absolutely sensational goal with five minutes to go Yeah, picks it up sort of midway inside uh, the Liverpool half uh, nutmegs Firmino with a pass out to Azpilicueta gets it back yep. shrugs off Naby Keita drives between Caterham and Moreno and then back outside Moreno, nutmegging him. Nutmegging him, yeah. So and then he crashes beats, it past Mignolet. I think three players in the first passage before he lays it off and then another two players and two nutmegs in the whole move and then beats the keeper. Mm, wonderful. There's been talk on Twitter uh, as to whether that was his greatest ever goal. I can't I think, think of a better. Can you think of a better one? Well, he scored that? a similar one in a way from, from the other side against Liverpool a couple of seasons ago which I really liked because it was so casual. This one was a very powerful, direct run, whereas the previous one was... He was he was almost dribbling slowly. He just kind of casually wandered past everyone and slotted it in the far corner without too much fuss, which I really liked because it kind of sums him up. I think he's just mm. quite a cool, you know... He, he doesn't. He's not a passionate player, I'd say, Hazard. He kind of just does things because he fancies it. Right. He scored a great goal at Lille. Um, when he was just breaking into the team against Genoa in the Europa League, picks the ball up in his own half out on the left and then sort of drifts right across the pitch into the penalty area uh, and tucks it away. But yeah, I think I'd probably put that that Liverpool goal at the top of his collection. Certainly his form consistently seems to be at a higher level than it's been from perhaps possibly ever. Yeah, I mean, he's won 15 of his last 17 games for club and country. Um, he's already, you know, got as many goals as he did in that season when uh, 2015-16 when he didn't look too enamoured with the Moo regime at Chelsea. Um, and yeah, he was absolutely brilliant. Um, I think for Liverpool's point of view, Klopp was clearly unhappy with Shakiri at the end of the game because just before the free kick that Chelsea won to equalise from, um, Shakiri kind of semi-dived at the other end of the pitch when he could have had a shot um, and then play went up the other end and, and obviously Chelsea equalised soon after so and Klopp made a point of going on the pitch at the end and kind of lecturing Shakiri. Oh right okay well, it was Liverpool's first defeat in any competition of the season they're going to be at Stamford Bridge taking on Chelsea again on Saturday how much of a guide is what happened on Wednesday Michael? No I don't think it much of a guide at all I think maybe there'll be five or six players who play in both games. Um, so I think it'll be a completely different game. But it's funny because there was a point where we seemed to have Liverpool-Chelsea about five times a season, three or four years in a, a row when uh, Mourinho and Benitez were there. And you kind of just... 
sighed in despair at the you know prospect of having to watch yet another one nil or nil nil. Whereas this time, two of the, probably well along with City, the, the the most entertaining sides in the Premier League. I'm really looking forward to Saturday. I think it could be it should be an even better game than this one. Well, even better than this one. All right. Uh, who do you fancy for this? Does, how much impact does it have on on the title race? And if Hazard remains in this form, can anyone stop Chelsea? I think it'd be a good test for Chelsea, as Michael said. You know that we expect the teams to be quite different, um, and I think we saw in that game at West Ham uh, that, that Chelsea you know, can be stopped and that if you allow Jorginho to have the ball but prevent him from passing to anyone, you can actually shut them down. So I think that's that's given an indication as to how to go up against them. Um, right. And it might actually serve Liverpool um, to have lost this game in midweek in that, you know, if there had been any complacency, not that I'm sure there would have been, but, you know, th- th- there is that desire to go back and kind of avenge that defeat. So, um, yeah, I, I think I'd probably go for a draw. Right. Stopping Jorginho is key, though. Well, in a way, I'm not sure. I'm not sure West Ham necessarily stopped Jorginho. They just allowed him to have the ball, but made sure he couldn't pass to anyone. Right. Um, and I think we, there were those stats about how many passes he's he'd attempted or completed and breaking the breaking yeah. the record, um, but actually didn't really do all that much with it. I'd fancy Liverpool uh, just because I think the left side of Chelsea's defence. There's a concern there. Alonso's been incredible in terms of goals and assists, but I worry about him defensively. The left side of the centre-back pairing, I just don't like David Luiz in, in a back four. I thought he was really poor against West Ham. Shrugged off the ball too easily. And Liverpool are so good at combining down that flank with Firmino's clever positioning. And of course, Salah, who I don't think has hit uh, top form so far this season. His sh- shooting's been quite wayward, but I think they'll cause real problems, Liverpool. All right. And also Alexander-Arnold with his those whippy, whippy crosses and whippy, whippy passes that he likes putting in. Rest of the League Cup. Duncan, should we mm. fly through a quick roundup of the other things that happened? Arsenal, their B team beat the B team. Yeah, um, the best thing that came out of this was the fact that Brentford captain Nico Yunaris, um was a mascot for Arsenal when he was seven, really? and Mike Dean was the ref in that game, and he was the ref in this week's League Cup game as well. Wow. So. Mike Dean is immortal, essentially. Yeah. Leicester went through on penalties after a goalless draw with Wolves. Penalties as well for Spurs up at MK Dons taking on Watford with Ali the Hero, Delhi Ali the Hero, on his return to his boyhood club, etc. Yeah, that was quite a nice story from an otherwise uh, slightly peculiar game. And Gazaniga made uh, two good penalty saves. So I think he's probably nailed down the um, the backup role because, you know, Michel Vaughan made those two errors against Liverpool and Gazaniga's done quite well. What do you think of penalties after 90 minutes? I think it's probably a good thing in the League Cup, to be honest. And, um, you know, it's interesting because almost every team seems to play their reserve goalkeeper now. So it's almost like if you want your reserve goalkeeper to have any quality, make him a penalty-saving specialist. Because, you know, Caballero won the the tournament for City a couple of years ago. You know, Ben Foster going back a few years for Manchester United. So added likelihood of penalties means uh, you need a good keeper that can save them. Yeah, Danny Ward, for example, in that Leicester Wolves game, making uh, or saving, was it three penalties in, in that? Be nice if he could get a regular run in the team. Uh, elsewhere, Man City certainly didn't need penalties, did they? Against Oxford United, no. Phil Foden starred. Um, he got the perfect uh, trio of a, a pre-assist, a second assist, um, and a normal assist, and then his first ever goal. Right. Club. Yeah. Um, uh, he was just one xG short of, of the perfect game. Well, I think it was I a think nice. He did have an xG as well, didn't he? He had an early chance which he didn't put away. Yeah. He. Um, it was a nice tribute to Oxford's three-sided ground. I thought as well. <laughs> <laughs> A lot of excitement about Phil Foden. Carl Robinson, the uh, the used manager, saying his feet are to die for. He reminds me of Iniesta. So 
so there's that. Even younger than Phil Foden is Harvey Elliott, the 15-year-old Tom Williams, 15 years old, who came on in Fulham's 3-1 win at Millwall, 81st minute. He was taking exams at school on Tuesday morning. He was back at school on Wednesday and he probably played Fortnite when he got home after the game as well. There's always exams involved, yeah. aren't there? Yeah. When there's a when there's a, a young yeah, what exams, fifteen years old. What exams old. are they in September? Is he doing resets? It's a good question, Michael. I just read that and went, oh, exams. But you're absolutely right. There's no business. I think taking. he needs to do less of the football, more of the studies. <laughs> he um, he's slightly younger than the London congestion charge, which um, Fulham residents particularly fight against, um, and he's just slightly older than the first of a cloned horse. <laughs> really? I think that horse might have died. I'm not. I'm not sure, okay. but it, um, yeah, that's good. And he is exactly the same age as that truck we played at the start, Make ah. Love, being number one. Uh, elsewhere, Palace beat West Brom, 3-0. A lot of excitement about Andros Townsend and Max Meyer, who I'd completely forgotten about being mm. part of that. Andros Townsend scored a lovely goal. A very Andros Townsend lovely goal. In came from the right. From that right. The pitch he always shoots from. Yeah. Burnley lost to Burton and Nottingham Forest beat Stoke 3-2. Yes, um, I had sort of half an eye on that Forest-Stoke game and uh, Charlie Adam tried to score from the halfway line again, oh. as he famously did at Stamford Bridge uh, a few years back. Um, ended up going a few yards wide. It made me think you don't get many players scoring from the halfway line twice. Xabi Alonso, one example with Liverpool, mm-hmm. although one was into an open goal mm. after the keeper had gone up, which I think invalidates it slightly. Quite a little, I'm going to th- from from the actual halfway line though, or from yeah, sort of near, halfway near or nearabouts. Yeah. I think yeah. in you go Martinez of Real Sociedad, Xabi Alonso's fellow Basque has done it maybe three times. Wow, there you go. Wow, okay, Basque thing. But Charlie Adam didn't. He didn't. No. Right. No. Okay, and uh, Saida Berahino continued his goal-scoring run, sort of. Yeah, he, well, he scored. He sort of he fell s- over. and He kind of sat on the ball and then yeah. scored, which you don't see much. Again, yeah. Uh, and then missed a, missed a point-blank header in the, in the last minute. Right, as Stoke crashed out of the League Cup. All right, well, the draw for the next round is on Saturday, and I, for one, am looking forward to it because uh, what a treat that midweek round was. Anyway... For all of that, we've got some incredibly exciting matches on the way in the Premier League. And we'll be chatting about that after a little interlude with our Continental chums after this. You're listening to The Totally Football Show, sponsors of Melchester Rovers. Find out more at RoyTheRoversOfficial.com. It was a busy midweek in Europe as well, Michael, because there were full midweek rounds all over the shop. Italy certainly... Uh, building up to what's going to be a couple of huge games on Saturday. Roma uh, taking on Lazio. Both teams had big wins on Wednesday. Roma beating Frosinone 4-0 remarkably here. Do you remember that uh, Javier Pastore uh, backheel goal against Atalanta way back in week one, I think, of the season? Yeah. Well, he'd been out injured. He came back into the side yesterday and he did almost the exact same goal. This one, arguably, even more difficult. This was against, as I say, Frosinone. And whereas the other one was kind of like a daisy cut of pass to him, it was like you know, a nice simple pass on the ground that he just slots, backheels it into the, into the Atalanta goal. This time... It was kind of almost a volleyed pass that he 
puts away. Very impressive. Anyway, Roma needing a victory after a difficult couple of results. We'll take on a Lazio side who also won midweek. Uh, the other big game, Juve taking on Napoli. They both had fine victories. Juve beating their former star Pippo Inzaghi's Bologna 2-0. Napoli winning 3-0 against Parma. Napoli three points behind Juve at the top of the table. They won this game at the end of last season. If they win it this time, they'll knock Cristiano Ronaldo and Chums off the top of City. That'll be interesting. The other quick bit of Italian news, Berlusconi's move to take over Monza has gone through now. The third division club is now very much property of Berlusca. So... Fascinating to see what he's going to do with them. They once played Wickham in the Anglo-Italian Cup for Monza? amateur teams, yeah, back right. in the eighties. They once were the ownership. They once were the property of Clarence Seedorf as well, about ten years ago, and he kind of drove them into bankruptcy after fielding his brother, Chedrick Seedorf. It says here, apparently that's how you spell it. Anyway, Dro- uh, drove them is a good pun for mm, Monza. Yeah. I'm not sure if you meant it. Oh yeah, no, I didn't yeah, mean yeah, that. Yeah. All right, nice. Gavin says, you've been talking about beautiful goals on Monday. Can you take a moment to appreciate what Villarreal's Pablo Fornals has done against Bilbao? Did you see this? Was this yes. the trickery in the corner? No. no it's the lob. So oh. basically, the I think it's somebody, possibly the goalkeeper, hoofs it upfield. It takes one bounce around the halfway line and then a player knocks it to Fornals. So that's a kind of the second bounce. And then with that he puts it straight with an equivalently large kick to the one the goalkeeper had had he puts it straight into the other net so it basically goes from net bounce bounce net that was quite nice very nice yeah reminiscent of a goal that Luis Suarez scored against Norwich at Anfield a few, few years ago when he scored this incredible hat trick and one of them was a, a sort of 40 yard lob from like the inside left channel so if you haven't seen the Villarreal goal just imagine Suarez's mm. goal but in like Villarreal colours Brilliant. Or just look at the Villarreal goal. Probably you could easier, do that as well. Yeah. yeah, in Spain, uh, both Real Madrid and Barcelona lost. Intriguingly, first Real- time since January 2015 they've lost on the same day. Really mm. interesting. Real Madrid losing at Sevilla. Ben Yedder. How many goals did he get? I think he got two. Two. Do you know that seven of his last nine shots on target have been goals? That's excellent. Work. It is. Yeah. And Barcelona, meanwhile, lost 2-1 against a Leganes side who possibly were bottom of the table coming into this. I think they were. They'd yet to win a game under their manager, who is Mauricio Pellegrino. Mm. Yeah. It's really uh, shaken up the La Liga table now because you've got Barcelona and Real Madrid joint top and Atletico Madrid third. So crazy stuff happening in Spain. <laughs> well, that could all get shaken up even further this Saturday when the Madrid derby happens. Boy, Saturday's going to be busy, isn't it? Very busy, and Sunday's very not busy. Oh, all right. Well, that's where we can... Yeah, we can have a bit of a hangover to the, the next day's action. In France, did you have a midweek round in France, Tom? Yes, they did. Right. Um, hold the back page. PSG won again. Right. Uh, seven wins in a row. The first time they've started the season with well, seven consecutive wins. you say in a row, Tom. Wins. You say in a row, but I recall them losing spectacularly at Anfield last week. Yeah, seven wins in a row in the league. Yeah. What was um, the reaction in France to the Anfield debacle? Was similar to the reaction when they went out of the Champions League last season. Right. Um, this sense that it doesn't really matter how many goals you put past your Angers and your Dijons and the rest of it if you keep getting shown up in, in Europe. And I think the really striking thing about that Liverpool game was just the complete absence of any sort of strategy. And right. They looked as as uninspired as they had when they went out to Real Madrid last season. I really want to believe that the French media and indeed public talk about les Angers et les Dijon. <laughs> and so, yeah, perhaps not that exact phrasing, no, no, but, but along those I'm lines. I'm sure they do. Uh, equally, how excited were the French press and public about Lyon's win over uh, Man City? 
Yeah, massive win. Massive win. I mean, Lyon have got decent European pedigree. Um, I mean, you think about that that run of seven straight league and wins in uh, in the, the the first decade of the current century. Um, uh, and, you know, they beat Real Madrid a handful of times and, you know, they reached the semi-finals in 2010. But they've not done anything of note in the Champions League since then. Uh, and, and no one saw it coming. They'd started the season quite slowly. Uh, Bruno Genesio, uh, their coach, gets a lot of flack from Leon's fans who've never really taken to him. Um, and yeah, it came out of nowhere. And uh, and they they built on that quite impressively. They went went and won against Marseille, one of their big rivals oh. for Champions League qualification, the and then Olympique. won again last night at Dijon. Uh, Moussa right. Dembele scoring his first two goals since arriving from Celtic. Mm. Uh, so they're actually looking quite good, Leon. Nice one. The big game uh, this weekend in France is. Nice against Paris Saint-Germain. Any chance that they're going to end uh, the Parisians' winning run? And how is Pat Vieira getting on down there? He's, things are looking better. Um, he didn't start the season very well. Uh, and then they had an impressive win over Lyon, where they sort of changed tack, went to a back three. Um, and he started using Alain Saint-Maximin uh, alongside or in support of uh, Mario Balotelli. And Saint-Maximin has been brilliant uh, the last few games. They won in midweek uh, at Nantes. Um, so looking good. Uh, obviously, PSG big favourites. And if they win PSG, they will equal the record of eight wins at the start of the league on season set by Olympique Lillois in 1937, wow. uh, 1936-37 rather. Um, should also probably mention Monaco, yep. who lost at home to Angers. I caught a bit of the second half. Absolutely wretched game. Half-empty ground, dreadful pitch. Uh, Monaco didn't have a single shot on target in, in the entire game uh, and are now... 18th and in the relegation playoff place their worst start to a season since 2006-07 and obviously we know that Monaco have got this business model where every summer they sell a lot of their best players they reinvest and it's worked for them the last few seasons I mean they won the league in 2017 in really impressive fashion um, sold a bunch of players Mbappe Benjamin Mendy Bernardo Silva um, and produced a good season last season finishing second to PSG but there's a feeling that this summer just gone they've perhaps gone a little bit too far. Leonardo Jardim, the coach, has said this is going to be the most difficult season. They've had a lot of injuries. Um, but, I mean, the team they put out against Angers, was, they were almost full strength. Right. Um, you had, you know, like Nasser Chadley was in there. It was like you know, one of their, their big money new signings. Um, and they were dreadful again. Uh, so they are in trouble. Right. And, you know, the question would be, who are they going to sell this summer if the players are all well, so badly? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Magnus Stromblad, there you go. That answers your question. How severe is the Monaco crisis? Severe. Fairly severe, I'd Fairly say. Severe. Fairly severe. Okay, uh, well, ooh, if you want more continental talk, of course, Golazzo is out there right now with a an edition which kind of looks forward to the big games of the weekend, but also spends an inordinate amount of time telling funny stories about a guy called Luciano Gauci, so that's nice. <laughs> anyway, let's talk about the Premier League, Tom. That's many exciting games to look at. Which ones, are, what, what's most exciting you about this weekend, apart from Chelsea, Liverpool, Duncan? Um, Arsenal Watford, I think yeah. it's going to be good. The Troy Dini Cajones derby. Exactly, yeah. Um, have, Ars- have Arsenal sufficiently grown a pair to take on Watford this time? I know they, they beat them after that game, didn't well, they? Troy Dini's going to have to have an injection to play in this game, but in his foot, I think. Does he um, actually have three broken toes? Apparently, yeah. Wow. I think he might be down to two. He was on five live the other day. Down to the bare bones. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, yeah. It's, it, it, what for, basically this is going to define what for season this game because if they lose, yes. which they probably will, um, they will slowly drift back into mid table and their good start will be remembered fondly, I think, by Watford fans. But if they can win, 
then it you know points to a f- that they might actually have a good formula. Brilliant season defining. Arsenal have won their last four games in a row in the league. The last six in all competitions, Tom. Yeah, and I think there was um, there were signs that the Emery ball, uh, if we're going to call it that, uh, is is starting to take hold. I mean, you saw the second goal they scored against Brentford uh, was a perfect illustration of the sort of football he wants them to play. It starts off with Burnt Leno, the goalkeeper, who chips it out to the right wing. They work it through midfield, and it ends up with I think Nacho Monreal crossing for Welbeck to score. Mm. So you know they are clearly evolving as Emery wants them to. Having said that, they were quite fortunate, I think, to, to beat Everton last weekend. Everton made most of the chances and then sort of, you know, Lacazette puts Arsenal in front and, and then they get a, an offside second goal. So it's, it, I think that run of form that Arsenal are on is, is slightly flattering how well they've, in terms of how well they've played, but clearly signs of progress. When you win, when you're playing badly, well, it's a sign indeed. of a title. Season, isn't it really? I'd like to see Arsenal uh, start with Alex Iwobi, who's played very well in the two midweek games against Vorskla and Brentford. So, not the highest standard of opposition, but you know, Arsenal have been playing with Aubameyang and Ozil on the flanks, and none of them want to be on the flanks. They drift inside in different ways. Iwobi can play as a number 10, but I, I think of him more as a kind of direct dribbler who can go down the outside. And I think just stretching the play brings them something different. And uh, Iwobi, I think, has probably stagnated a little bit over the last two years, but I mm. think he's been fortunate that. Arsenal have let go a lot of wingers. You know, Walcott's gone, uh-huh. also Chamberlain's gone, and they need someone in his mould. So you would have, what, Lacazette up the middle and then it will be on one side and who on the other? Well, I'd play as well as the number 10. I think Ramsey can either drop out or, or play deeper uh-huh. um, and bring in a Wobie. Very good. Oh, uh, Tom, is this, and this is a question we asked uh, Duncan and Michael uh, on Monday at the live show, but is this the season when St Toshingham's Day returns? I mean, it could be. Mm-hmm. I suppose um, I'm not convinced that it will be um, I think going into this on the back of uh, victory at Brighton uh, and then beating Watford uh, on penalties in the League Cup uh, in that slightly curious game at Stadium MK um, so you, you wonder whether they've turned a bit of a, a corner Spurs. I, I still expect Spurs to come together and, and start stringing decent results together Okay, um, Michael uh, you were surprised the other day to notice that Huddersfield have a World Cup winner in their squad Yes, Eric Durham. Yep. There you go. Did you know that? Yes. Let me ask you another Huddersfield question then, Tom. Do you know who their top scorer is? No. It's kind of a trick question in Huddersfield's case. Well, they've only there's scored th- three, two, goals. three goals all season. Yeah. yeah, so there's three of them tied on one goal. Wow. Stankovic, Billing and Matthias Jorgensen. Fascinating. They've gone five at home uh, without a goal. So they're closing in on Manchester City's legendary record from 2007 when City scored at home on January the 1st, and that was it. No more, no more home goals for the rest of the season. All right. Man City are taking on Brighton. Is that fairly straightforward, would you say? Yeah, I mean, they can equal Chelsea's record of 33 unbeaten games at Saturday at 3 o'clock, um, which is the big one that everyone <laughs> oh, yeah. is after. But it kind of just shows... It's one of those stats where, obviously, big teams at home... At three o'clock, they're not going to be playing anyone of note, really. So, um, yeah, I can't see Brighton doing much in that. Okay, here's another stat: since the start of last season, twenty games in the Premier League have seen one side scoring five or more goals. Twenty games since the start of last season, forty percent of those have been involving Man City, which actually is not that surprising. It's almost surprising; it's not more. Yeah, I agree. Mm. Uh, I think the one chance for Brighton here is uh, Anthony Knockhart, who's been playing very well. I think there's more creative responsibility with him when Pascal Gross isn't in the side, which seems to be the case at the moment. And City's left-back zone is is maybe their one area of weakness. Mendy, I think, is still out. 
Fabian Delph was dreadful in that game against Leon. So maybe Knockout can have a good game, but otherwise City, strong favourite. Right. One of the interesting tactical innovations that Pep uh, unveiled this midweek was John Stones playing as a kind of deep midfielder. Yeah, I think... The Desai role, if you will. Yeah, he's done that a couple of times in... Uh, or he's been switched there midway through games. Mm. It's funny with that because people say, oh, he's very comfortable on the ball, so he can play there, which is certainly true. But I think you have to be comfortable on the ball in different ways as a holding midfielder. The way you receive the ball is very different from how you receive it as a centre-back. But uh, that's not to say he can't play there. Indeed. Well, some big games coming up, especially down the bottom end. And indeed also Everton taking on Fulham, which we have a really interesting stat about coming up after this. Tom, do you know what the really interesting stat is about Everton-Fulham? I do not know. Duncan and Michael do, don't they? Duncan's a stats man. Go on, Duncan. Well, I feel like Michael should, you know, he, he can have a go if you want. No, Why don't you say it that. together? That would be very difficult to choreograph. Um, yeah, no, basically, uh, Everton have yeah. won every time they've played Fulham at home in the Premier League, 13 times, which is the best 100% record uh, of any fixture. It used to be even better because it used to be Fulham had won every home game against Everton as well. Um, so it was basically whoever was at home out of the, in that fixture you know, literally mortgage your house and put it on because, um, but then Everton won at Fulham and, and yeah, some people lost their homes. <laughs> <laughs> because Fulham lost at home? Yeah. Wow. When the fun stops, stop, people. <laughs> um, what's going to happen this time? Was that, was that the same stat you had, Michael? Yes, it was. Okay. Uh, we should see some nice football in this, I'm thinking, No. Fulham are certainly playing good football. I'm still waiting to see precisely what Everton are all about this season. I don't think any section of their side is complete. Maybe the attacking midfield section, but they've been very leaky defensively, partly because of chopping and changing because of injuries. But uh, yeah, I'd expect goals at both ends. OK. Although possibly not from Richarlison, who scored with each of his first three shots in the Premier League as an Everton player, but has since failed to find the back of the net with his last six. It's happening again. It's a luxury Ricky Van Wolfenkel. Did Ricky Van Wolfswinkel do that? He scored with his first shot on target and then never scored again. Wow. <laughs> never scored again. I'll tell you who does score again, repeatedly. He absolutely will not stop ever. Alexander Mitrovic, more goals than anyone in the Football League since he joined Fulham. Five this season in the Premier League. No one scored more. Mm. Bournemouth's taking on Palace. That's not until Monday, so we can skip past that. But let's have a look at Cardiff against Burnley that's a massive game down at the bottom of the table hey Tom yeah and the sort of game that that Cardiff really have to win if they're going to get out of trouble they've already played Huddersfield this season who you expect will also be scrapping uh, and that finished in a fairly forgettable nil-nil and prior to last weekend Burnley looked like the sort of team who who you might worry about going to Cardiff but then they pull that 4-0 win over Bournemouth out of the bag Um, and I think you know as has been said the big difficulty for Burnley has been coping with Europa League football Um, this will be their 14th match of the season Mm. I think which is twice as many as a lot of the teams are coming up against but that win against Bournemouth shows that perhaps things are starting to fall into place and, and the the fatigue that um, that was induced by the, the Europa League games is, is perhaps starting to become less of a factor Although they did have a midweek game this week of course and managed to lose to Burton Albion as we mentioned in the League Cup this will be the first top flight meeting between Cardiff City and Burnley since March 1962 when significantly they played out a 1-1 draw um, are Cardiff going to challenge Derby's record for fewest points? I think this game's 
quite crucial for that because if they lose this and they probably need to decide what they're actually going to try and do this season because they can stick with Warnock and maybe yeah rival the the famous derby season or um yeah or they can try and improve a bit so okay. I mean Burnley I have for all their improvement last week you know they have still got the worst defense in terms of shots allowed um so if Cardiff are gonna you know go free scoring this is the time this is the place to do it Newcastle also in trouble at the wrong end of the table without any wins all season, hosting Leicester, who scored three goals on each of their past two visits to St James's. No Damari Gray for the Foxes, who left Molyneux on crutches after that game midweek. And also on Saturday at three o'clock, Wolves taking on Saints. Michael. Yeah, I think this is quite an interesting game because, you know, it's, it's only a year or so ago that there was this massive craze of back three sweeping the Premier League and I think last weekend the only team who played back three was Wolves they played oh. back three in every game and did the same 11 in every game and the trend we saw with the back three was that basically teams played a back three if they were playing against a back three because it was easier to copy them and mirror their mirror their formation and I'd have Southampton as the one side who I'd say probably should be playing a back three because they looked really good that way last season mm. and Hughes seems to have bowed to the supporters demands to play two up front which I'm not sure has really worked for them so far so I have an inkling that Hughes will change formation to match the way Wolves are playing. All right, Ings will be back in. Yeah, and he's been he's been their bright spark. I mean, uh, I must say I was never really sure how good Ings was. You know, he was had such injury problems at Liverpool, but he's been excellent for for Southampton, running in behind, stretching the play. So that's really good to see. Excellent. Wolves it's like are... a slightly better version of Shane Long, mm. in that he performs in a similar way but scores, well, scores basically full stop. <laughs> right. Wolves, though, are in terrific form, are they not? Yeah, one defeat in eight games. Wow. Um, if we're not including defeat on penalties no, against Leicester as, as a defeat, which, of course, we are not. Uh, and, yeah, I mean, coming off the back of, well, prior to that, that um, very impressive performance at, um, at Old Trafford last weekend when they got the 1-1 draw and and uh, and sort of made Man United fall apart as a consequence. So, yeah, Wolves looking good. Excellent. All right. With that, I think it's time to get some odds. Producer Ben has been chatting to Paddy Power. Let's hear what they said. Thank you, Jimbo. Lee Price from Paddy Power is on the line. Lee, let's talk about the weekend's game. West Ham. 8-0 of West Ham against Macclesfield. Can they do it again against beleaguered Man United? Probably not the 8-0, but beating them. You know what I mean? Yeah, from League 2 opposition to beleaguered opposition... They're ten to three to beat United this weekend, which seems good value to me. But Mourinho's side are still odds on at four to five. And what about Mourinho's odds himself? He's uh, it seems to be the head shaving phase. <laughs> yeah, we're getting very close to that buzz cut. He's back to favourite in the sack race, so not all bad news for him. It's three to one that he goes next, and it's now hugely odds on that Pogba outlasts him, which is no real surprise. On to Liverpool versus Chelsea. Then uh, it was two one to Chelsea in the League Cup. But uh, I have a sneaky suspicion that Liverpool, with their uh, full team back out, might win 3-1 here. I'm growing aware of your sneaky suspicions. They're often quite good. The odds for a 3-1 Liverpool win are 14-1, to or you can get 17-2 to for a repeat of the scoreline Wednesday night. But I would agree with you, Liverpool, the massive favourites here. And tell me about the money-back special that's going on. 
Yeah, I think this is a generous one, but it depends on Salah's form. It's money back as a free bet if Mo Salah scores. That applies to selected markets only, pre-match singles only, max free bet £10, T and C's apply. And let's move on to the least super of Super Sundays in the history of Super Sundays. Cardiff versus Burnley. I'm going for nil-nil here, as I'm sure most people are. What are the odds on a red card? Yeah, it's 11-2 for a goalless draw, but I'm hopeful there's lots of goals because two terrible defences. It's 4-1 to one for a red card, though. That's what gets you off. Um, that's a normal price, I'd say. It's also the Madrid derby this weekend. Red card in this one, please. <laughs> yeah, the Sergio Ramos special. So we've just spoken about the 4-1 to for the Cardiff-Burnley red card. A red card here is just 9-4. to That's better than half the odds, so therefore more than double the chance. Quite likely. Ha! You can find out those odds and other ones at paddypower.com. All prices are accurate at the time of recording. 18 plus only, begambleaware.org. And when the fun stops, stop. Michael, you're back again on Monday. Yep, see you then. Along with Matt Davis and Daniel's story. Lovely. So there's that. Uh, exciting weekend planned? I like to party. Everybody does. Uh, anybody got any exciting plans? I'm going to see Jurassic Park at the Royal Albert Hall. What, just the music, is it? It's the film oh, backed right. by the Czech Philharmonic Orchestra. All right. So, Are you a big fan of... Uh, Jurassic the Czech Park. Philharmonic Orchestra. Um, <laughs> and I am a big fan of Jurassic Park. Are you? So I'm quite looking forward to that, yeah. Did you see the most recent one? Yeah, I'm not a massive fan of the, 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 the reboot. Right. There's only so many stories you can tell about dinosaurs I'm not sure escaping true, and eating people. And right. I think they probably ran out of ways of doing that in uh-huh. about the second film. Oh, they escaped again. Oh, my God. <laughs> but the last thing dinosaurs. Yeah, I mean, they're notoriously difficult to handle. They certainly are. I'm just going to throw this out, you know, now that it's too late for anyone to, to take issue with it, and say that Jurassic Park, I think, is a massively overrated film. Oh. Boom. I mean, I would come back on that, but perhaps that's a discussion for another. another I think show. Te- technically it represented a massive leap forward, but the the the, the level of the, you know the the realism of the graphics, I think, blinded people to how Spielberg completely wasted a, a glorious story. It was an incredible story. He edited it on the phone because he was busy making Schindler's List. And I think there's there's one shot in particular, which I remember thinking, oh, you dropped the ball there. The impact tremors, you know, the mm. when, when and, and it's very much, it's the Jaws moment, you know, when they're on the boat, Brody, mm-hmm. etc., and there's the bump, and you know something big is about the to happen. The water trembling in the exactly, glass on the backseat yeah. of the car. And it's, yeah. it's just a throwaway moment in Jurassic Park, whereas in Jaws, the, the, the visceral sense of dread was so real that... Yeah, you've I mean, probably I never seen this, have you, Michael? Jurassic Park? <laughs> I think I did. But, yeah, whatever. <laughs> it was quite a big film for the paleontology community. Oh, right, Because yeah. a lot of quite forward-thinking ideas about dinosaurs were kind of brought into the mainstream. Okay. This idea of the connection between dinosaurs and birds. Right. The way that the dinosaurs move in that very bird-like fashion. That was yeah. all quite cutting-edge thinking at the time it came out. Okay, you see, that went straight over my head. Maybe you should rewatch it. Okay, with that in mind, I have a fresh appreciation of Jurassic Park. What do you think is the most overrated film you've ever... Of the big films, what's your most kind of... What, is well, there a film that you don't get this why week, people... West Ham scored eight for the first time since Top Gun had come out and right, well, that continues to, to disappoint. Yeah, although it, it's great in other ways if you watch it. There's the old Quentin Tarantino subtext bit. Yeah, I, I, I don't think it's even sub that text. <laughs> no. Especially not in the sauna scene. No. Right. Anyway, hey, we'll talk more about this and kind of that kind of thing on Monday. Uh, meantime, have a great weekend, everybody. Thanks for being with us today. Goodbye. You've been listening to the Totally Football Show, a Muddy Knees Media production. 
for sales and advertising, email sales at muddyneesmedia.com. And make sure you check out our other football podcasts, the revamped Totally Football League show with Caroline Barker and the brand new Totally Scottish Football Show. Supporting your team can be a beautiful thing, but then come the injuries, the goal droughts and the downright disastrous defeats. That's a little bit like life, really. And here at the Totally Football Show, we believe we should all support each other the way we support our team, through the good days and the bad. And that's why we're continuing to work with Calm, the campaign against living miserably, a charity dedicated to preventing male suicide. On average, 12 men take their own life every day in the UK. So that's your starting 11 and your manager every single day. And part of the problem is that many of us still feel uncomfortable talking about mental health and suicide, and this can often stop men from opening up and getting support when they need it the most. So if you're worried that someone close to you is having a tough time, check in with them and let them know that Calm is there. Every day from 5pm till midnight, Calm provide a free, confidential and anonymous helpline and web chat for any man who needs support. Visit thecalmzone.net to find out more about Calm.